0: Hi, welcome to the latest episode of my podcast, which is the audio recording of an interview. The video version is available on Facebook, YouTube, and most of the time on Instagram. My Facebook group is called Donna's Interviews, Reviews and Giveaways, and all the links to everything else are on there. Um, If you want any feedback or if you want to suggest any authors you'd like to see, I'd really appreciate it. Hope you enjoy. Good morning. Today I am talking to Will Harker. Hi Will, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about yourself?
1: Yeah, I. Uh, my pen name is Will Harker, um, my real name is William Hussey, and I write um, young adult books under William Hussey, and that's one of them, Hideous Beauty. And uh, this one is coming out in May, May 13, The Outrage. And as Will Harker, I write um, crime thrillers uh, with Scott Jericho, a New Detective. Actually, that's the second book. So I'm incompetent at holding up books, clearly. And uh, this is the first one, Killing Jericho. So yeah, I've been... um, uh, published author for 10, 11 years I think and uh, that's my main job.
2: Yeah. Uh, did you always want to write?
1: I did so um, from a really early age I loved telling stories and it all started for me, uh, I've told a story loads of times but uh, at um, primary school so I got from my dad for a birthday present a bunch of Tales from the Crypt comics. I don't know if anyone remembers those, but, um, and I love them. So what I did was I started writing and drawing my own horror comics. And I did this until I got to secondary school. And at secondary school, I had like this brilliant English teacher called Mrs. Breeds. The thing with Mrs. Breeds was, she was really good, really encouraging, but she also was like super honest to the point of being, you know, that's a bit much for an 11-year-old. But... um, So she called me into her office when I first started secondary school and said, I hear that you write and draw these horror comics, will you bring them in and show them to me? She read them all. I went into her office at the end of the week and she said, I think you got a bit of a knack for telling stories. So you need to improve your pacing and stuff because at the moment, everyone is being brutally murdered on page two. There's no (laughs) tension and there's no suspense. There's no build up. There's a lot of stuff you need to improve there's one thing you can't improve and that's your drawings. And I kind of puffed out my 11 year old chest and I thought, yeah, because they're awesome. And she looked at me and she said, these are the worst drawings I think I've ever seen in my entire life. She said, even the stick figures in the back of your compositions don't look like stick figures. So that's how rubbish you are at drawing. So just give up on the idea that you're going to be in comics or anything. It was pretty devastating, but she was right. I was terrible. So she said turn them into short stories, and that's what I did. So like virtually every writer, I think we all start with little stories. We'll a yeah, play. so that's how it really all started. And uh, yeah, I've just been annoying my family. So I annoyed my family for the next 10 years with stories before I was unleashed on the public.
0: <laughs> and what made you take the plunge and go for um, it properly? Yeah.
1: Well it was, um, I was, I trained as a solicitor and I really hated it, um, so I, um, it was a moment actually that I was um, at work and I've been given a job, I was like very early on in my career and i had been given a job, I was in the property department that time, and my job, we were working on behalf of like a landlord, and he wanted to evict these two young women who had set up a, a nursery, which was really needed in that particular area. My job was to draw up the papers to get them evicted. and I, It was awful. I felt absolutely terrible. And I thought, is this what I want to do in my life? You know, and I actually went home at lunchtime was watching the news and there was... Uh, an interview with um, the head of the MA in creative writing at Sheffield University, and I just thought, and weirdly, I had an appraisal that afternoon. See, I was getting like a six-month appraisal, so I went into see my uh, supervisor in the afternoon, and they said, "Oh, we're happy with your progress and everything." I said, "Right, before you go any further, I'm quitting and I'm going to do creative writing instead," and no one could believe it. Like they were just like are you sure you've worked really hard for this and um, my family were just crazy uh, but I always say to kids because I do a lot of creative writing classes in schools I always say to them when you're on your deathbed at the end of your life and you look back on your life you will never ever say um, I wish I'd earned more money you will always think I wish I'd done what I would wanted to do I wish I would just followed that dream whether it works out or not I wish I'd given it a go. And um, that was a moment for me where I just thought, I'm probably not going to earn as much money being a writer as I was a solicitor, but um, that's what I want to do. And I don't want it to evict people who are trying to do good things, okay. Yeah, oh.
0: Um. So what came first, was it the young adult books?
1: Um, I'd written two adult horror novels, Um, first for which was set in the Fen country which is where I live in Lincolnshire and I've always been interested in the mythology and um, the legends of the Fen area so those were the two adult novels that I wrote and then I've got a friend Debbie who is the wife if anyone is reading there's some really good um, uh, crime novels at the moment Alex Scarrow and he's a he's a YA writer as well but Debbie is his wife. She wasn't his wife then, but I met her at Boston Wardstones and I was doing like a book club thing for my adult books. And we were talking about, she loves YA children's fiction and she was the bookseller there for that. And we were talking about it. And I said, um, and she basically challenged me, but she said, writing for kids is much harder than writing for adults because they're such a discriminating, unforgiving audience. If they're bored, that's it. They're not going to be polite and just give you another 10 pages of reading. So um, I then wrote a series, a trilogy called Witchfinder. Which um, was published by Oxford University Press. And uh, I've just republished them as ebooks. But they were kind of like a supernatural adventure series for young adults. Virtually every mythology you can think of is in there. So folklore, witches, ancient Greece, um, you know, the Norse mythology, everything is in that trilogy. And um so I loved writing YA and then what happened I wrote a few more of them and then in 2016 so I was a carer for my mom for a long time and she passed away in
2: 2016. I was really
1: close to my mum and in the year afterwards I was just grieving so much and I needed an outlet for it and I felt like I needed to write a story that dealt with grief and so I started writing a story It is Beauty about um, two boys who fall in love at the beginning of the book and then by about chapter four or five an accident happens, one of them dies and it's really a a mystery, it's a little bit like a detective story because Dylan, the hero, is trying to piece together what happened to Ellis, um, his boyfriend but it's really a story about grief and how you come to terms with losing someone that is crucial and central to your life so weirdly I think it was really therapeutic to write that book but and then after that I kind of like this is a really long answer to your question I'm sorry after that I I love detective stories I love crime novels I was a massive Agatha Christie fan growing up like I was when I was like 13 like you know all the 13 year old kids would be asking for skateboards or kind of like to go to Disney World or whatever do you know what where I asked my parents to take me when I was for my 30th birthday to Devon so that we could visit Agatha Christie's house <laughs> I was such an Agatha Christie nerd I still am but um so I really wanted to write or I'll probably go into this, this um, later, but I really want to write a detective story um, with some surprise twisty endings. So that is the very long answer to your question.
2: <laughs> uh,
0: I'm glad you mentioned the Hideous Beauty because I wanted to ask you about that anyway. Um, uh, and it's been nominated for an award, which it deserves because it's amazing and ruined me. <laughs> completely for about an hour after I finished it (laughs) I'm sorry (laughs) no you're not
1: (laughs) no I'm not really
0: (laughs) not just me either is it um is it Caroline of UK CBC made her cry as well
1: yeah it was really interesting that book because I'd written like these horror books before and I knew I could effectively make people scared or unnerved but I wasn't sure I could make people cry and it's not like that's the thing i set out to do but i wanted it to be emotionally genuine and so i sent it the first draft i sent to a friend of mine alex bell who's like this amazing children's <laughs> writer and i think i'm right she was getting married like that week or but so i sent her the book and she was reading it on her phone and her fiance okay so there were mad wedding arrangements everything her fiance came in and she got to the funeral scene in hideous beauty And she was crying so much she couldn't explain to him that no one had died. It was, you know, the wedding wasn't off or whatever. (laughs) But basically she just read this book. So uh, when I was saying, oh, I don't know whether it's going to work, or I don't know whether I can move people, she, like, reassured me. And I felt bad and reassured. (laughs) So
2: (laughs) Yeah. It was
0: weird because, you know, usually if I'm going to cry, I know I'm going to cry. But when I finished it, I was just crying. I was like, what the hell?
1: Oh, yeah. It's
0: um, Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the award it's been nominated for?
1: So it's the Crime Fest um, Award. It's a bit of a mouthful. So it's the Crime Fest Award Best Young Adult Crime Novel for 2021. I had to think what year it was then uh but um yeah and it was it was a little bit of a surprise really because it is I don't want to actually I shouldn't say anything because I don't want to spoil it for anyone because it is a crime story but it isn't so I'm but I'm not I'm not going to say anymore because I'll just I'll just give away the ending if I, if I say too much but yeah I was I was really uh, surprised by that one. We we did go up for a couple of awards, and we didn't get them, you know, in the in the young adult kind of awards categories um, throughout the year, like the Carnegie and things like that. But there were so many brilliant books published last year. But that would be the one that I would have never thought we would have got nominated for. And we did, and it's really exciting. Um, being a massive crime fan, anyway, it's a huge compliment. So, yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: um do you get much chance to read
1: yes i in fact i have no clue how anyone has survived the past year who doesn't read i put like a tweet out about this um and it was like my last thing at bed i have my like hour or if i'm really enjoying it more um and i also read during the day at lunchtime, whatever but i said how do people go to bed without escaping into a different reality you know, with everything that's going on. I just need that fictional space. Even if it's like a horrible serial killer, you know, thing, at least it's not the world now. And, uh, yeah, so I read all the time. I don't know how... I do know, like, I've heard of them anyway. I don't know them, but I have heard of writers who don't read fiction but write fiction, which a really interesting process. I, I don't know how they do it because I just basically... I'd really do a terrible thing, so I hope people watching this don't hate me, but I don't think books are sacred objects that should never be touched or, you know, or whatever. Or So what I do, and if I really love a book, I'll just buy another copy of it. But if I love a piece of writing, I will mark it up in my book and I will put notes in the margin as to why I think it's effective and how I love it, because that helps me as a writer you know, but I know people you've written in a book, they would absolutely, that would be a, like a capital offence for some people, so. But, yeah. uh, but no, I think it's it's crucial for my mental health reading and it's crucial for my job. I, so we're always learning as a writer to do better, so. Um,
0: and what sort of things do you read? Do you, do you, will you read anything or do you stick to crowd fiction?
1: I read absolutely more or less anything. So horror, crime, um, spy novels, young adult novels. I read romance, I read, you know, little secret, like most um, thriller, you know, probably this from interviewing them and everything, but like most crime and thriller writers, we write these kind of like scary, um, you know, books and everything, but soft as butter you know, really sentimental most crime writers and cry at the drop of a hat. And uh, and I, I think I said in another interview that whenever you meet crime and horror writers, they're like the most sociable, lovely group of people because they get all their nastiness and dark thoughts out on the page. <laughs> but yeah, I'm an absolute sucker for a kind of like a weepy story as well. So I really read everything. I can't think of anything I don't really read. So yeah
2: awesome um
0: so your scott jericho novels um, is an unusual um sort of main character so do you want to tell us about
1: that yeah so i've been thinking about this for a while because i grew up in the traveling fairground community um and i kind of like for the first few years of my life was in that community, so we'd be on fair. We'd travel all around like London and the home county setting up affairs and stuff. And the, um, that sounded like I said, setting up affairs. I mean, setting up <laughs> fairs, not setting up affairs. That's weird, that'd be a <laughs> weird job. Uh, so the, and I've always thought a showman would make a brilliant detective because unlike most things now, the fairground is a great social melting pot. Everyone comes to the fairs. So, showmen are great. They kind of talk to lords and dustmen and everyone in between. So, they know human nature backwards. So, that was a great attribute for a detective to know human nature. Ob- their observation skills are brilliant. They can just, they know immediately, they know the rhythms of the fair, but they can uh, weigh up a punter, see whether he's spent his money for the day or whether he's still got money to spend they can look at the clothes or the accent and really sum up person so the observation skills are there and um they're just kind of like uh because they're they have been oral storytellers for so long as well they're great at gaining people's confidence so you need that if you're a showman you need someone to um you need to be able to pull in the punters get them on your side get them to like you so they'll come over to your stall or your ride and so all of those three things I thought would make a brilliant detective. And also I've read books where which have been set in fairground and traveler communities, but there I've not read one yet that has been written by someone who's lived that life and knows those people. And I, what I wanted to do was to have this detective, but also show his world and show it warts and all. So all of the great stuff. So the solidity of that community how they will always take back their own and look after them and look out for them but also the fact that in a weird way they're quite a conservative community Um, and so Scott who's LGBTQ that is an issue for him growing up within that community so and the other thing I think is that from an outsider's point of view people who go to the fair There's always like a little tingle of the unknown there. It's a way of life that's still very hidden. So it lends itself to a sort of gothic um, intrigue, um, a sense of danger, you know, just below the surface. So I thought, yeah, all of those things melt together into hopefully an interesting series of books.
0: And when you wrote the first one, were you planning on writing a series?
1: Yeah, um, so... I thought there was kind of like scope and longevity in, in it. And once I got into it though, so Harry, who is a character who crops up about third of the way through book one, um, is wasn't intended to be in the book. He just suddenly appeared. And um, he, he he has a relationship with Scott. Um, and I think that is what is motoring the, th- you know, the kind of B-plot all of these books is the relationship between scott and harry and what's been really surprising to me is that people have messaged me after reading and say oh i'm really fascinated by scott and how his mind works and his background but they've said we love harry though it's like they adore harry more than scott and i've now had people say if you if you kill harry we're coming after you basically so yeah so I'm, yeah. I'm warned, but. That's,
0: yes, I am one of yeah. these people, do not touch Harry. <laughs> <her, right?
1: laughs> I know, yeah. I kind of like, um, oh, the only thing I promised is I won't hurt Webster, which is Scott's dog, because um, he's a lovely old boy, but I won't hurt Webster. But, you know, if you're in kind of like Scott's world, this is, this is what he reflects on a lot though, is that he, the other thing with this character is like he attracts, darkness and danger to him and violence so that is why he's concerned about harry being with him because he knows the fallout of his cases could hurt the person he loves most and it's like a balancing act for scott he wants the stability and love of harry but he doesn't want to endanger him either so but something is going to happen in book three that's all i'm going to say at the very end of book three something is going to happen between them So, for good or ill, it's going to be a big change in their relationship.
0: If you kill him, I will find you.
1: (laughs) God, I'm so scared now. I'm not saying anything, okay?
0: I can wait. (laughs) I'm very patient.
1: (laughs) It won't Um, be long. I think, um, I'm hoping book three is going to be out. I had a slight delay in my writing, but I'm hoping it's going to be out for July. And we, I ran a poll um, on Instagram for the title. So we've got the title now. It's going to be Burying Cain. Uh, so, so each of the titles so far have had, had like a verb as the first word. So we've had Killing Jericho, Silencing the Dead and Burying Cain. And someone said to me the other day, you just got to be careful that you don't kind of trap yourself with these titles. Because if you get to like book eight or something, and then you're really scrabbling around in it, <laughs> it's kind of like... are you going to do running with giraffes or (laughs) you know you can't think of another verb um
0: how much of yourself is in scott
1: um he well he's gay like i'm gay um he grew up with that difficult situation with his family and his community which reflects kind of me he is um, he's quite curious. I love, he loves mystery. He's addicted to mysteries and puzzles, which I am. I guess that's probably where the similarities end though, because he's like um, brave, <laughs> like, stupidly brave, actually. It's like sometimes I, I think, is he being idiotically brave in <laughs> this kind of situation? <laughs> but he just rushes in where angels fear to tread. That's not me at all. Um, I'm not as brave as him he's also like stunningly good looking so that's a kind of like everyone kind of like you know so that's a difference um what else yeah the other thing though is he's actually got about the same dress sense as me which is basically just white or black t-shirt and jeans and that's it (laughs) Um, he's very troubled. Uh, he kind of has, um, uh, when we first meet him, although he's kind of cut, got over it to a certain extent now, he has some substance abuse issues. That's kind of nothing that I've dealt with. Uh, but yeah, and also he's much, much cleverer than me. So the thing is, It's all right for me as the writer to think I'm clever, but it's actually taken me kind of like months to put the plot together and the twists and the clues. Whereas he like works it out. If you look at the, how long the story, I think both Killing Jericho and Science in the Dead take place over about a week. And he he works it all out in about a week, so yeah.
0: Um, Who's been your favorite character to write out of any of your books, not to stove those ones?
1: Oh, Okay. That's a tricky one. Um, I think probably it was Mike in Hideous Beauty Um, and which is weird because he's not I think Hideous Beauty weirdly has three main characters but if you were to define it absolutely he's not really the main character but Mike is based on my best friend from childhood uh, Tresh who is like there for you three o'clock in the morning what do you need I'll be there for you um and he kind of he's really that straight best friend that a lot of gay kids would really want growing up the one who's going to defend you and be there for you so it's easy actually to say that probably um you know I love kind of like Scott in the Jericho books I love Harry um in the new book the outrage i've got a character called albert who i think is on par with mike he's another kind of like secondary character until you get to the last bit of the book but it's what i love is the characters that surprise you so i wouldn't have thought when i started writing in this beauty i would have thought it would been dylan or ellis when i started writing the outrage i would have thought it'd been the two main characters gabe or eric and with Jericho as I say Harry just pops up and then takes on a life of his own as well so it's often the characters that you don't think are going to be central don't even imagine that they're going to exist in the book when you start so yeah but if I really had to choose I'd say Mike.
2: yeah I loved
0: Mike Mike was awesome
1: he's the friend everyone wants isn't he and my editor was like she also wanted to be adopted by Mike's mom and dad as well yeah, <laughs> yeah <me> too.
0: <laughs> um is there any book that you ever wish that you could be a character in
1: oh goodness well because I like crime and horror so much probably none of those because something horrible would happen to me <laughs> Um, oh, that's such a really interesting question. Um, so I have, I've got a friend who's a writer, uh, who's brilliant. And if anyone hasn't read his books, they're so joyful and funny. Simon James Green uh so he writes lgbtqya and basically i just want to be a character in any of his books because they're so joyous and you just end them with a big grin on your face so um probably not noah who's like the hero of his first book because he's so accident prone and um you know but um yeah he is uh, actually maybe i did this subconsciously i don't know But Noah's boyfriend is called Harry, and I really love that. So maybe I totally stole Harry off Simon James Green. I don't know. He's the grown-up Harry, maybe.
0: Maybe it's the biggest compliment. I don't
1: know. I'd also quite like to be Miss Marple, which sounds a bit strange, but I really would. You know, like, towards the end of my life, just being, like, in a village where strange murders happen all the time but very genteel (laughs) and then you just kind of sit back and have you know endless amounts of cups of tea and gossip with the old ladies of the village and solve murders. That sounds like a great retirement to me.
2: Yeah
0: absolutely I'm totally with you on that. (laughs) Um, Do you ever dream or have nightmares about your characters?
1: I used to, I haven't really for quite a long time, but I I, I often dream elements of a story which will then show up in the story at some point. Hideous Beauty, I did have a dream about a car accident where a car was sinking and one person was able to get out but couldn't get the other person out. So that was, um, I think, in the outrage, um, I this was quite inspired by a real life thing. So I was reading an article and I can't quite remember where this story was set, but it it may have been Iran or somewhere like that. And this was the inspiration for the outrage. So the outrage is basically set in a future Britain uh, 30 years from now that become a fascist state where being LGBTQ is illegal. uh, And there are uh, police force dedicated to hunting down uh, gay, and sending them to state conversion camps so I was reading this article in which um, these two men had had like uh, what would have been in their country in a legal relationship for like 10 years and they were found in a moment of intimacy and exposed. Now there was <clears throat> this get out of jail in a way free card that is held out where they were interrogated separately but if one said that they had been attacked by the other one in that moment then they will be set free but the other will, de- will be executed and they'll both know that but so the outcome would be both of them executed or one of them and I thought that was such an interesting dilemma to put two people in who absolutely love each other and what would you do would you be the person and how you'd want the other person to say that they were attacked by you so that they could live but still how would you feel if that person did it so I had a nightmare about being in a um uh an interrogation cell after reading that where that was being asked of me and uh, so that provided see uh, and the other one which I don't want to go into spoilers too much, was um, a nightmare I had for Killing Jericho where someone had had their eyes removed and something had been put there to replace the eyes. And I won't give... When people get to that bit in the book, it's like in the last kind of like fifth of the book. It's quite an image, I think. So. Yes, it is, yes. <laughs> I
0: know exactly what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> you will never look at, um, I always, someone emailed me and they said, you've out-itted it with uh, <laughs> with carnival balloons. So that was quite a compliment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: uh, but What's the most interesting thing you found when researching?
1: Um. I think it probably has to be what you know that story that i just said about the um the two men because it that fired an entire book it's very rare that you get a point where in research you where an entire book will come to you off of one bit of research but i guess it was that um i i i do research my books a lot before i start but I think we chatted earlier about the fact that uh, two things I would say as a writer about research. One is, it feels like work, but no one is going to pay you for your research notes. So as you know, writers are the biggest, we'll do, do anything to get out of writing as writers. So we go, oh, well, I could just do a little bit more research. Well, you always know in the back of your head when you've done enough research and you're ready to begin. And really, you're just wasting time um so listen to that little voice because as I say you're never going to get paid the book is not going to get written if you just keep doing that the other thing is with research it should serve the story so for my not everyone agrees with me but for me if you come across a bit of research that in the real world something wouldn't happen But you can make it believable within your story and really it needs to happen that way in the story because for the plot and for the characters to move on um, and develop in their relationship or develop the story, then really reading is suspension of disbelief anyway. So don't be a slave to research is my thing, you know, uh, because readers primarily are not there. For your research, they're, re- they're there for your characters and your story. Obviously, if you're going to do something completely ridiculous that would never happen in the real world, then that's fine because then you've broken the suspension of this. But I, I think I said to you earlier like, if, for example, uh, as a crime writer, you're waiting, you need to wait five days for a bit of DNA to come back, but that's really just holding up the plot really badly, and your characters are not doing anything or going anywhere then I think you can achieved a bit and say you got the DNA back a bit earlier.
0: Um, What's your biggest goal or your biggest dream?
1: Well, it will sound a little bit um, kind of like self-centered, but we had a TV deal for Hideous Beauty and it was all going ahead and it was all going swimmingly and everything and then COVID struck and it was we're going back out with Hideous Beauty to other producers and things um but I just think it's a really televisual book and I could um, the plans that these got the producers had for it were were really amazing like they were going to be so faithful to the story and everything
2: um
1: so I think my absolute dream would be that book more than anything because I think it's it's got an important, it's got some important messages in, especially for younger uh, readers and younger viewers and stuff. So that would be my absolute dream to see it, to see that on the screen in some way or other, but we shall see. Um, but other than that, that's quite a big ambition. So <laughs> mainly my ambitions are just to have some cake at the end of the day, you know, quite small scale <laughs> stuff, really. <laughs>
0: yeah I see your tweets quite often about whether you should have cake or exercise and generally it's quite a majority of eating cake
1: I know I should just listen to the majority so I'm I'm definitely having pizza later anyway
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, what else do you like to do when you're not writing uh
1: well usually in non-plague world uh I I love the theatre um I just think it's really heartbreaking. I've got like lots of friends in the theatre. It's just heartbreaking what's happened to theatre. Um, I love cinema. Uh, so hopefully we can all get back to that communal kind of experience of being in the theatre and um, in the cinema. Um, I, it, I just kind of, you know, really simple things like, um, because writing is such a lonely job, you're just by yourself kind of all day Kind of thing, a crucial thing for my mental health is just generally kind of meeting with friends, you know, regularly, getting out of the place that I live, you know, because I care for my dad and that's a big job as well. So just getting away for a weekend and seeing friends and stuff. So it's, yeah, for, as for everyone, it's just been really tough this year. So really, it's just been the writing this year and, you know, not much fun so but yeah theatre is a big one can't wait to get back in the theatre <laughs> and Blooming Covid has also denied us so I don't know if you saw it so just the last show I saw before locked the first lockdown was uh, Everybody's Talking About Jamie um, which I absolutely loved and then they, the film was made I was like really excited to see that, and that was coming out in October or November, and then that was delayed. So I don't know when we're getting that. But yeah, it's a real killjoy, COVID, isn't
2: it? Yeah, big time.
0: <laughs> yeah, I had tickets to see a couple of comedians. Um, the lockdown happened in March, and I think April and May. And I think it's twenty twenty two now that they've been rebooked. To.
1: Yeah, it's going to be. I don't know whether we're going to get back to stuff this year must see no yeah
0: we'll see um what's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you
1: oh my god we we need a five part interview for this um (laughs) i once proposed to my tutor at university after they told me that they were getting married (laughs) and then uh, and then sat in a cake uh, after i got refused after i got turned down i then kind of flumped down into a seat and someone had put a cake on it so that was quite embarrassing so the next day i had to buy them a new cake and uh, apologize um oh my god i've done so many embarrassing things i sometimes think my life is just this is why i like writing because i have control of the environment whereas i'm sure everyday life is out to get me and make me look ludicrous <laughs> in every kind of like way it possibly can. So, yeah, I, I think the cake story takes some beating, but as soon as we finish the interview, I think of about 10 other things that have just been hideously <laughs> embarrassing.
0: Who um, who is your first celebrity crush?
1: Um, probably, oh my goodness, let me think. Ryan Felipe is definitely up there um you know what this is a this interesting thing on a slightly more serious subject um i've done a kind of like little uh interview about the outrage and how important lgbtq representation is in like films and tv and stuff like that because i grew up in lincolnshire which is a very conservative uh place anyway and uh, during section 28 so There was no Section 28, basically, for people who don't know, was a law that forbade teachers um, to talk about gay people in schools to say that, you know, basically gay people are okay and not hideous, you know, plague carrying monsters, which is like all we really got in the 90s. And um, we couldn't have materials in schools about sex education or relationship education for gay people. So all I really saw on the screen represent, represented of gay people were clowns to be laughed at in sitcoms or real, or serial killers, you know, or something sinister. So that's all you got. And I think if th- this is really what the outrage is about, if you can see yourself represented on screen or your community as with worth as a real human being as a complex person then that really changes can totally change your life um so growing up we really didn't have any of that so what a lot of my generation of um, gay people did was we projected onto straight rom-coms so you know like with Ryan Felipe and people like that you just project yourself into that and, and situation that. oh god so many yeah Ryan Felipe definitely um who else um m- early days Matthew McConaughey um I think he's become a bit of an alt-right person now I don't know but anyway and um yeah lots of like, do you know I had a real crush on, um, um, da, 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 who was it, it's an old-time movie star who, and I used to go around my nans and she used to, Sydney Poitier, <laughs> Sydney Poitier, that's a really weird one isn't it, my nan loved Sydney Poitier and used to go around and you know when I I was really young, and we were really young, and just. But he was such a beautiful human being as well. But yeah, yeah, strange selection that, really, isn't it? (laughs)
0: It's it's quite varied, yeah. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So, if you were to invite four famous people to dinner party, who would you invite?
1: Uh, Is this living people, dead people, fictional? It's your
0: dinner party, you can have whoever you
1: want. (laughs) Right, let's think then. Um, I, well, I'd love to invite, I'm a bit of a politics nerd, so I would quite like Clement Attlee because I think he is the greatest prime minister we ever had. Uh, You know, that post war uh, government change the fabric of Britain for the better so and he was you know when you see interviews with him he was comes across as a very ordinary approachable guy very quietly spoken not the big bombastic kind of politicians that we have now who just all sound and fury and signifying nothing so I think he would be fascinating to talk to Um, Agatha Christie obviously so I could pick her brains and steal some plots off her (laughs)
2: <laughs>
1: um, uh who who else who else uh, yeah so i i think i'd have to say stephen fry just for the, just because he there's not a subject he can't wax lyrical about So that, really, and also because i'm a big E.G. woodhouse fan as well i'd love to talk to him about james and worcester and all that kind of stuff so i'm i've got one left haven't i yeah. um mm, let me see let me see I think just oh I don't know whether this person would be a good idea because I think he'd upset people but although I don't agree with like everything he says I've always admired his bravery for saying what he thinks and so the late Christopher Hitchens I think would be he'd, he'd drink the, the house dry and <laughs> But he might get into an argument with the other people kind of around the table. But I think um, I think he would be at least, it wouldn't be a dull dinner party with Christie.
0: Anyway. No, I think Stephen Fry could probably hold his own anyway. He doesn't back they, down, does he?
1: No, and I think they were friends actually in real life as well. So, um, in real life, they're both real human beings. Kind of like, <laughs> but yeah.
0: And Stephen Fry knows everybody anyway.
1: Doesn't he? <laughs> so he could bring people along as well. You know, I I'm bending the rules here, but you know. <laughs> it's
0: fictional,
1: who cares? <laughs> yeah. The, uh, one person who I'd really like to come along as well because mm-hmm. I love his books. And anyone who's read the Jericho books can probably see a bit of influence. Mm-hmm. I've met him as well, and he is just one of the nicest people, is John Connolly, uh, the writer who writes the Charlie Parker books. Um, so he's very kind guy fascinating just so clever so I know now chosen five so I'm cheating (laughs) (laughs)
0: um so what are you working on at the moment and what's coming next for you
1: I'm working and I really need to uh, get myself in gear but I'm working on Jericho 3 um uh so I'm just I'm at that stage where I just need all the little plot and clue elements To kind of come together properly. So a few of them are being a bit obstinate. uh, But um, I'm working on that. I um I've I've sent in, so I always want to do something different. I don't want to write the same thing every single time. So Hideous Beauty for my YAs, I describe them as LGBTQ romances, but in a slightly different genre each time. So Hideous Beauty is obviously a mystery and uh, The Outrage is like a thriller, like a chase thriller. So I thought, right, I'm gonna challenge myself, and hopefully if I was born, my publisher go for it. LGBT romance, but a complete madcap comedy.
2: Um,
1: So I've got an idea for it, basically it's about a boy who has to have open heart surgery. And I had open heart surgery uh, in October, 2019. That's why I got the big zipper scar there. And um, there's a big thing in gay culture and queer culture about body perfection. How, and I think it's really poisonous and toxic. And But it's so projected, especially onto young people. So I've got this kid and he's a lovable dog, and he loves films and his thing is that he wants to make a zombie movie over the summer before he has this surgery. Mm-hmm. Everything goes wrong. A set burns down. Um, the townspeople think a real zombie apocalypse might be happening and all the, all silly stuff. But the crucial message is he's also desperate during a six-week holiday to find a boyfriend because he thinks that after he has the surgery, no
2: one will want him. You know,
1: you will have the scar. And I just thought a real lovely, lovable ending to it, you know, accepting himself and all that kind of stuff after he has the surgery. So I'm really hoping that Osborne go for that because I think it would be lovable and sweet, but also have an important message for kids out there that I, okay. like I sometimes post pictures of my scar to show people that, you know, we should accept scars. I always say scars tell a story. Affection in inverted commas has no stories to tell. It's boring, it's bland, you know, whereas, you know, you've lived, you've got something going on there. So, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I've, I've sent the pitch for that. And hopefully, fingers crossed, that'll be a great one to write if possible.
0: I'm looking forward to reading it already, so oh. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> you
1: I, know, I, I, I just love to write something that is just um, so. Obviously, in the Jericho books, there's murder, mayhem, people's eyes are scooped out, so it's kind of like oh, very dark. <laughs> With both of these, uh, the, uh, the outrage and hideous beauty, they're kind of heavy they're dark stories there's a dark center to the heart of them and it's about people but I just like to write something that is joyous just funny and silly and joyous but has a swoony kind of love story but has this um, important message at the heart of it as well
0: (laughs) Um, well I don't think I have any more questions for you unless you think there's anything that I haven't asked you that you want to tell us
1: Oh God, no! That's an invitation for confessions that you don't want to hear. Um, <laughs> Absolutely, do uh, right. No, I think. Um, well, the only the only thing is, uh, I guess I can tell you when. Uh, did I tell you when the outrage was coming out? I can't remember, but
0: yeah, May something. <laughs> I've forgotten 13th already.
1: Thirteenth May. Thirteenth it. <laughs> Which is a Thursday, thank goodness, and not a Friday. So, <laughs> and um, obviously the Jericho books are just available through Amazon. But um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. You're very welcome. I've been looking forward to this one for ages. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Yeah, thanks for the very kind things you said about Hideous Beauty and Jericho itself.
0: Of course. And I've got my copy
1: of The Outrage pre-ordered as well, so... Wonderful. Thank you. I'm looking forward to hearing what you think. It's always scary for a writer when people have liked their books, you know, and really enjoyed them because there will come a point where, because just the law of averages where I'm going to write something that disappoints you. So it's like, oh no, I hope you enjoy it.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll let you know anyway, either way. Oh
1: yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, And before we go, do you just want to tell everyone where they can find find more about
1: you yes so um on the will harker books i've got a website willharker.com and uh, you can sign up for a newsletter there which has kind of exclusive content in it and uh, like photographs a recent one that went out it's got photographs of traveling fairground and my family and stuff which inspired jericho if you sign up you also get a free short story which is set in a victorian jericho fairground and involves uh well the serial killer the title gives it away but it involves the the solution to my solution to the serial killer mystery of all time so you get that for free if you sign up at will harker uh is for the ya books and um yeah, and uh, then you'll just be sick of sick of me anyway. So you won't <laughs> find it anymore. <laughs> oh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as well. I w huzzy author on both of those.
2: Brilliant!
0: Thank you very much.
1: Oh, thank you, Donna. Take care. Thanks, everyone.
0: Thanks for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please remember that you can view the video on my Facebook page, Donna's Interviews, Reviews and Giveaways, or you can also review the video on YouTube. Um, Just search for my name, Donna Morfitt, surname's M O R F E T T, and you should be able to find it quite easily. Um, If you want any people to be interviewed, then please
2: let me know and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you.